A lot of people are hesitant to put themselves out there because they're not perfect. They feel like there has to be, if you're putting yourself out there as a brand, they feel like that's the shiny package cellophane, you know, perfect version of yourself that you have to put out there. And that's not true. Hello and welcome to The Writer's Mindset with me, Christina Adams. And me, Ellie Betts. Each week, we're here to bring you the strategies and advice you need to achieve your writing and publishing goals. This week, we're talking to Christine Gritman about social media branding. Christine Gritman empowers small business owners and solopreneurs to tell their own stories on social media. She's spoken on stages worldwide and is a frequent expert guest on podcasts, live streams, Twitter chats, and blog posts, as well as hosting her own weekly Twitter chat, hashtag chat about brand, and live interview show, Let's Talk About Brand. I spoke to Christine about the importance of branding for authors and how you can work on yours. Because everyone needs a brand, right? Exactly. That's why this episode has so much value. Brand is one of those things that people often think is just a logo or a fancy font, but there is so much more to it. If only it were that easy, right? I wish it were, but no. If you find this and our other episodes valuable, you can support The Writer's Mindset over on Patreon. You'll get early access to episodes, bonus content, and our undying gratitude for supporting all the work that goes into creating these episodes to inspire and motivate you. To find out more, visit patreon.com forward slash writers mindset. Or you can come hang out with us in our free Facebook group where you can get moral support, accountability, and talk all things writing. Come and join us at writerscookbook.com forward slash Facebook group. How does it feel then to be officially done with the MA, Ellie? Oh, such a relief. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I enjoyed it and I got a lot out of it, but there's something incredibly satisfying about finishing a project, right? Uh, especially a project which has been going on for two years and had multiple different facets and has been very, very hard and trying at times. So it feels like I've achieved something. <laughs> Obviously, I've still got to wait for my grade. Um, but I don't think that's the most important thing. I think the most important thing is what I've gotten from it, what I've learned, how I've grown. And I think there's a lot of ways that I can measure that and I can see that in myself. So, I mean, obviously, I still think I'll get a half decent grade and that's good. Um, but to be able to see on paper how much I've grown from the first assignment to the last one even is very satisfying and it feels like a great accomplishment. Yay! <laughs> and you're going to be talking a little bit about the Amena bonus episode for patrons as well, aren't you? Um, and now you've told everyone, no, I have to. Uh, I know. <laughs> I, I, know. Like, I, hate, I hate that you do that. <laughs> <laughs> Not trying to make yeah. you accountable or anything. No, no. no but I, I've I got one to record as well to tie in with what I've just finished. So, so. it's true. It's and be, by the time this episode goes live, then those bonus episodes will be ready for people to listen to anyway. There you go. But no, I think there's some value in exploring what I did learn there and the, the pros and cons of it as well because even though I got a lot out of doing the masters I still don't think I'd recommend it to everyone it's not for everyone and it's not the most important thing by a long stretch in terms of what you need going forwards to publish books it's certainly not a requirement it just helped me so all, all that and more to unpack in the bonus episode yeah I think 
there is definitely a lot that can be learned from studying a creative writing MA or degree. But from what I've learned speaking to people who have also done it, who are published now and people who have considered it and people who are doing very well in their careers, it's not necessarily going to set you up for publishing success. It teaches you how to write and how to tell a story and how to analyze other people's writing. It does not teach you how to build a business. Exactly. And the business side of it is such a huge side of it you know you can't just write some really nice words and then you have a million pounds in your bank it's just it's just not that simple which is again probably a good thing because the satisfying feeling of accomplishing things just isn't as good if you get it handed to you right yeah exactly I want the struggle I promise I want it (laughs) I don't I would quite happily have an easy life I'm just accepted life isn't easy and I overcomplicate things for myself if we can all be as chill as Millie down here then it'd be great but we can't be as chill as millie is no for anyone who's listening to the podcast millie is currently lying on the carpet behind christina looking like the most relaxed dog in the world she looks very happy she's not even on a bed you can oh you can't see my bed her bed my bed her bed is literally just like behind my chair no that's not good enough she wants the carpet that sounds like my cat why bother buying beds honestly why bother And the other great thing about finishing my master's degree is now that I'm finished and I don't have to force myself to concentrate on it, I'm allowing myself to think about the actual series that I'm going to be working on. Yay! (laughs) Alex Warrington stuff. I mean, I wanted to do it the whole time. Every time I wanted to do some writing, I wanted to do that and not my dissertation. But the dissertation got done. And now I'm allowed to do other stuff again. I say allowed. It was only me stopping me. But, you know, it's another thing I learned. Self-restraint, <laughs> which is hard for me. But you did it. And that's what counts, right? And you probably learned a lot about both yourself and your writing in doing it. Well, you'll have to listen to the bonus episode to find out. Nice plug. I like it. <laughs> what about you? I think you've had quite the accomplishment this week as well. Yeah, I've had a really productive week after having some really shit ones. So I officially finished proofreading The Mummy's Curse this week, and it's now gone out to ARC readers. Woohoo! And <laughs> I'm nervous about it because it is quite different to my other stuff. It's even different to The Ghost Call because this is the first time I've really leaned into the comedy, and I have leaned into it really, really hard. It um, comes across well, though. Like, I think you've, you've executed it very well. Thank you. It's funny. Yeah. I, I'm sure you remember in my notes, me putting, this was hilarious. I'm laughing out loud. In various I do, yeah. places. And that is really reassuring because when you're writing something like that, you know, you don't, it's not like stand up where you see if the joke has landed. You know, there is a sense of detachment. So having people respond and go, that was really funny is really reassuring to know. Oh, yeah, I am getting it right. I am actually funnier than I think I am. <laughs> you are. You are. It works really well. You've got some funny characters and some funny situations, definitely. And they are very fun to write as well. Like they just are. Like when Javi just turns up and tortures, not tortures, he's not a mean character. Torments is a better word. When he turns up and torments his yeah. um, wife. Teases her, I think. Yeah. And winds her up. And yeah, and it's like, it's alright for you. You're dead. Your life, your <laughs> life is easy. And Neve just isn't impressed by the fact that he's decided to interfere in her actual life and tell Which, her who she should date. This is just circles back again to you so beautifully torturing your characters. <laughs> Which is probably both of our favorite one of our favorite pastimes now. But yes, it's a good way to torture in the most adorable way possible. Thank you. It is fun, which ties in nicely to the other thing that I've done, which also involves tormenting Neve, which is I finished my reader magnet. 
And it is a short story about Neve and Tavi because they're very popular characters, particularly their relationship and how they bounce off each other because Neve is a little bit more uptight and Tavi is one of the comic relief characters who just doesn't take anything seriously ever. He's just like so laid back. He's practically lying down whether he's alive or dead, you know? And my original plan for the reader magnet was for it to focus on two other characters. And I started writing it and I realized that not only did the plot not work because it needed a character who hadn't even been introduced when the book was set because it was between one and two, but also I was getting bored writing it, being brutally honest. There just wasn't a story. It wasn't interesting enough. And I was really forcing myself to keep going. And I was like, I can't keep doing this because if I feel this way, then readers are going to feel this way. So I kind of put it to the side and worked on Hollywood Heartbreak for a few days and then had this idea that centered around Neve. And I got to bring in, you know, her as a teenager, what her relationship's like with her mother, what her mother is like, and why Neve hates her, which is a big theme in The Mummy's Curse. And also you get to see Neve and Javi early on in their relationship. You get to see Neve with a couple of her friends who are also in the series, so it was actually really nice. And also I got to uh, set it in the 90s. So there's a couple of like 90s references to like um, wearing lots of belts and things like that. That sounds awesome. That feeling that when you're working on something else, you have ideas about a different project. That's handy. I mean, it's handy to know that helps sometimes just focusing on something else. Your brain still works in the background without you realizing it, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's what I always do when I'm struggling with something is I try and keep that thing in the back of my mind and then go away and do something unrelated. And yeah, it made a massive difference. I actually outlined it before I started writing it. So I wrote down what would happen in each scene. And then I sat down to write it and I ended up writing it in about three days. And it was uh, the first draft was about 6,400 in total. And the finished version is 6,700. So it's a short story. But it works for what it is. I got out of bed and went straight to edit it. And then I sent it to you an hour before we're due to record. I know you sent me work before you sent me a good morning. (laughs) When do I ever say good morning? And also, how is reading about Javier work? True. I'm excited. It's not work. (laughs) (laughs) I basically made you send it to me. Let's be right. (laughs) That's true. So now I've done that. I've got to go back to Hollywood Heartbreak. And it does feel a bit more like the pressure's on with this one because I've got some more gaps to fill in. And every time I think of the stuff I've got to fix in it, I I just think back to if I'd fucking outlined this, I would have solved all these problems before I sat Uh, down to write. And that whole uh, hindsight's 2020, right? (laughs) Yeah. And I'm dreading going back to the Necromancer Secret and editing that because it's going to have the exact same problem because I didn't outline it. But at least then from like Hollywood Romance and um, The Witch's Sacrifice onwards, I will have those outlines in place so it'll be a much more streamlined process we hope we hope it's a learning process and i think it's a good lesson because you're what 10 12 15 books in now and the mummy's curse is book 16 there you go so it's not like after the first couple books everything's perfect right you're constantly growing as a writer and you can see that in your writing and your technique and your writing process and i think that's that's good to know that's good background information i think it is important to remember that and also as you change as a person you need different things not only from what you write but also from your writing process i switched to writing fantasy because i needed more escapism because the Hollywood books can get quite dark in places and that's not as escapist as what happens in books were or writing about ghosts tormenting their ex-wives. And in terms of my writing process, like I've said in previous episodes, I just didn't feel like I could go any faster than what I was already doing with my current system. 
But if I changed it and followed the advice of people I have interviewed on this podcast, because these are people who do very well and publish very quickly and have a lot of readers and make a lot of money, uh, you know, why don't I listen to what they're saying, you know? Absolutely. You know, there's a reason we got them on the podcast. (laughs) They've got valuable things to share and techniques and advice. So you'd be silly not to listen to them. Exactly. And it's also there are patterns that have emerged. And I'm going to do a bonus episode on that as well about analyzing those patterns, because I think you don't always notice them when you're just listening to them. But when you're sitting there analyzing them like we do, that's when you really notice the patterns and the things that are helping people to stand out with their businesses. And yeah, I think I've picked up on about 10 different things now that people are doing. And that's from, I want to say about 15 interviews now. We should do a a collation episode where we go, these are the top 10 things that everyone says you should be doing or something, but better phrased than that. I mean, if you want to go back through every episode and analyze all of those things and pull out all the clips. See, more work, just giving me more work to do. Uh, uh, she's the one who spends five hours editing every episode yeah okay that's fair (laughs) (laughs) moving on shall we actually dive into our interview with uh, Christine with me today is Christine Gritman fellow Atomic welcome to the writer's mindset thanks for having me so for any of our listeners who haven't heard of you can you just tell us a little bit about yourself Sure, absolutely. So my biggest thing is that I think you are amazing. I think that you have superpowers. I think that you have gifts that you need to share with the world. And social media is such an important way to convey that to people and to be able to be found by the people who need to experience your gifts. Uh, So I help people put their personal brand forward in a bigger and better way on social media in a way that will get them found by the right people and that will not become a whole extra job. Very nice. So a lot of authors, when they hear social media or branding, it triggers a tiny bit of a panic attack, just, just a tiny one. There's so much vulnerability involved. So yeah. many people, I'm, I'm part therapist. So many people have so many hangups around social media and this feeling that everyone knows how to do it but them. And it's just not true. It's very common. Yeah. So what? let's go right back to basics for a minute. What is branding and why does it matter for authors in particular? Absolutely. I like to say that brand is the version of you that lives in other people's heads. So first of all, hopefully there is a version of you living in the right people's heads. Hopefully you have been memorable and you have stuck in there. And the thing about authors, so many times authors and artists in general, they sort of want the work to speak for itself. They are hesitant to become part of the picture. They feel like, I didn't get into this to get myself out there. I got into this to get my work out there. But the thing is, millions of people, billions of people have their work out there. And the thing that is truly unique about your work, I'm sure you're very gifted, I'm sure you're very creative, but the fact is the only true point of difference any of us have is ourselves. So um, that is also true when it comes to your work. There's so much other work out there. So much of it is probably wonderful. So the real thing that that is going to get it out there and into the right hands and into the right minds and hearts is you. You need to be the champion for it, but you also need other people to be a champion for you. And so that is why your personal brand does matter as an author. It would be lovely if we could all just rest on the laurels of having produced incredible work. But unless somebody actually finds it, that doesn't really do us a lot of good. It would be so nice if that would happen, wouldn't it? 
<laughs> Wouldn't it be great if only the best work was what got found, but we know that's not what happens. Sometimes it is a popularity contest and sometimes it is a matter of, you know, getting that exposure, getting that recognition and nothing can do that as powerfully and as consistently as having a personal brand because if people are into us, then it means that they will be excited for anything we may do in the future. And that's an incredibly powerful position to set up for our future work. Yeah, definitely. What, With all this in mind then, why do you think so many authors either neglect their branding or just do it completely wrong? Because we know there are some people out there who are just kind of either making it up as they go along or not putting a whole lot of effort in. On the most basic level, it's that this isn't what they signed up for. They didn't sign up to become an influencer or to become a personal brand or to try to build their own celebrity. Most authors, with some exceptions, of course, but most authors became authors because they wanted to write. They became authors because they had a story they wanted to tell. And now um, they have to do all this other work that they're not interested in doing and perhaps not personally inclined towards doing in order to support that work and get it out there. And it can be very uncomfortable. It can say, well, you know, I'm, I'm not an Instagram influencer. Why do I need a brand? That's ridiculous. I'm an author. <laughs> but the fact is, if we really want to give our work a fighting chance at being found, you do need to do that side of the job. It's very common to also, I, I work with a lot of small businesses as well. And a lot of small businesses started because someone had a passion for something. They're really interested in doing something. And then once they started a business around it, they realized, oh goodness, I've got all this extra stuff I didn't want. I have to do the books. I have to do marketing. I have to, you know, pay rent on my shop or whatever. There's always going to be all sorts of unfun tasks involved in truly championing something that we're doing professionally and getting it out there. So I think I think just that disconnect between expectation and reality is is part of why people are hesitant and the fact that this is not what they signed up for. And, you know, it can feel a little icky. I speak to a lot of British audiences as well. And I know that especially ingrained in that culture, but truly ingrained in most cultures is this idea of self-promotion being somehow unseemly. You don't want to be seen as you know, self-aggrandizing. You don't want to be talking about yourself too much. You don't want to be puffing yourself up. You don't want to seem like you're egotistical. And a lot of times people feel like the actions involved in getting yourself and your brand out there, they can feel that way to some people. But I suggest really looking at it in a different way. I suggest looking at it as you are actually serving the people who need to find you because we all know a book can change a life. And, you know, a lot of people's work can change lives. And I think that it's really important that we think of it from that perspective. We don't think of it as, I want to get my book in loads of people's hands so that I get gobs of money. We need to think of it more as, I want to make sure that the people who would love this book can find this book and read this book. <laughs> and, and when we think of it from a perspective of serving, we can't really serve people who can't find us. So I think just having that mental shift, and especially when you've got something like a book, a lot of times it almost seems like something that was channeled through you. And so that especially, if you are that channel, if you are that conduit between wherever books and ideas and creativity and spark originate and a physical thing that lands in people's hands, if you are that conduit, you are obligated to get it all the way there. So think about it that way. Think about it as you're not puffing yourself up and saying, oh my goodness, I'm so amazing. You're saying, 
here's this thing that I have for the world. Here's who would benefit from it. Here's, you know, why, here's something that might connect in it to you. That is really, you know, that's, that's not egotistical at all saying, here's this great thing. Here's who might appreciate it and being able to connect with those people and be found by those people. And social media offers an incredible opportunity to do that because it can be free. People are saying, oh, it's pay to pay, uh, pay to play, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. But really, if you understand what the algorithms want, and if you understand organic social, it can be an incredible place to build relationships and build awareness and to champion that work. Yeah, something I've definitely noticed is that when authors say that their social media isn't working, it's usually because the content they're putting out that is buy my book, buy my book, buy my book. Yeah. So A, no one wants to see it and B, the algorithms are killing it with all of 30 seconds because you've used a word like buy, pre-order, sale, offer, whatever the other triggers are these days that they don't say or announce, but that are clearly <laughs> things that Facebook knows and wants you to pay for. Absolutely. And, and the thing is, people consider social media to be a marketing tool, which makes sense. It is a very powerful marketing tool, but... They're trying to use it like traditional marketing tools, and that's not what it's for. We are crashing the party when we are marketing something. Social media originated to connect people to people. And when we bust in with a, an old-fashioned marketing message, when we're broadcasting something, when we're selling instead of connecting, that is an interrupt. And sometimes a pattern interrupt can be good, but this is an unwelcome sort of interruption. People don't People aren't there for that type of messaging. The type of things people are there for, main thing is connection. But here's the thing. We are humans. We can connect with other humans. Our books, our work are intended for humans, intended to enhance the lives of humans. So if we're able to put things out there that are intended for human connection rather than for passive consumption, that can really that's how you really gain traction. If you look at it not as a straight up conversion mechanism. If you don't look at it as I'm going to put this thing out for people to buy and I'm going to judge success based on how many people bought it. No, take a step back and realize that social media is social. And really judge your success on relationships built. Judge your success on the type of engagement you're getting and from the right people. Judge your success on your ability to find messages that are truly connecting with people who come back for more. And that's really where the power is with social media. And that's a long game. So people get very impatient. People get very frustrated. People get hung up on the numbers rather than the depth beneath them. And that's something that is kind of hard to stomach because if it's something you didn't want to do anyway, if you already didn't really want to put yourself out there in social media, if you already didn't want to talk about yourself or your work, you just want to let it stand for itself, it's a tall order to say, no, this is going to take a while and this is going to take some actual engagement and interaction. You can't just schedule a load of posts and let it run and never pop in and engage. And So yeah, the people who think that social media doesn't work, it's because they're not looking at it as a conduit for relationships. And that's truly what it is. But that's such a strong position to come from. If you build those relationships successfully, 
people won't only be interested in your current book, which hopefully will make you more, will, will make them more interested in you once they've actually read it and realized how much they connect with your work and your voice. But if you are able to connect yourself to that book in that person's mind, that means they'll follow you wherever. That means the next time you have a book coming out, they're going to be so excited. And that's also a content opportunity because you can take them through the process of, oh, I'm working on my next book. They'll get so excited. And oh man, I wrote for five solid hours today. That is a gift to people who are excited. You know, you can take them along with you on that journey and they're going to be so excited. And those are the people who are going to pre-order your next book, which puts you in an incredibly strong position and they'll write reviews and this this is stuff that every author wants but they're they're kind of missing the part in between which is how do you get it and the way you get it is by showing up and allowing those connections to happen what tips then would you give someone who does have some sort of fear or barrier that's preventing them from putting themselves out there more on social media even if they're focusing more on the um, engagement and the building relationships they might still feel like oh no I can't put myself out there what would your tips be for those kind of writers I definitely acknowledge that there are reasons not to. Um, sometimes it's personal security if they've written, say, a memoir of an abusive situation. And sometimes it's the fact that anxiety is very real. I'm an anxiety sufferer. I, I'm held together by medication. Uh, <laughs> so I completely understand that there are valid reasons why people can't put themselves out there. So what I would say is you can put yourself out there in ways that don't feel as personally vulnerable to you. And what I mean by that is, first of all, the work itself is something you can put out there. I just mentioned, I just tossed off the few examples of, you know, getting to work on the next book or, um, you know, spending time writing, or even you can ask for opinions on things where you're having trouble deciding on, you know, a name or a detail or something. You can, you can ask for people's opinions on those things and that makes them feel invested in your work and in you and in your process and in the finished piece. So there are things you can do um, that put the work out there and the process out there in an extremely human way and the fact that it is human and the fact that it does feel vulnerable to the recipient, but doesn't necessarily feel like you're giving something of yourself away, could be one way to do it. Um, you could also, you know, make it a thing that you don't show yourself. You can build that mystique. Maybe there's something, maybe there's a common element that you include in your posts. Like they see your hand with red nail polish on it in some of the shots, or they see, you know, the cool old typewriter that, that you love, or they see your cat. You know, there are definitely recurring elements that feel personal without being too vulnerable. So there are certainly ways to get people to feel like they know you but you haven't actually opened anything particularly delicate at all within your own um, personal privacy. Uh, so that's one way to do it, to, to look at, to think about how you're looking at content differently. Um, and also, I mean, your thoughts, you can share your thoughts in a way that give people something to latch onto without giving too much away about yourself. You can absolutely reconcile the idea of making human connections while maintaining privacy. It's just a matter of rethinking what those human connections are. And really the definition of that is, is in my opinion, anything someone can latch onto and feel a resonance with in themselves. 
One thing I've seen some traditional published authors do, particularly in newspapers, is they take like a theme from their book and then they write a news article about it. And I think not enough indie authors take advantage of that because they're like, I don't know what to write about on my blog and like write <laughs> about your book. That's, That's brilliant. The point of it. Absolutely. That's completely brilliant. And and also there's the fact that even if you're writing fiction, a lot of times there's still research that goes into it. My sister's working on her second novel. She's seeking publication for the first one. She did so much research because she's writing about people in situations that she hasn't personally been in. So she wants to make sure she gets some of those details right. She wants to understand certain things um, about cultures that, that she's delving into. Um, and so she has done a tremendous amount of research and that alone can, can spin off. I mean, even if someone's writing fantasy, a lot of times there's still research. They're researching, you know, precedents in mythologies. You know, they're researching real life locations that inform their fantasy locations. A lot of writers do engage in research and that can lead to its own content. Why not? You've done the work. Why not create content out of that that reaches a different type of audience that may also want to go follow you and latch on to where you're trying to lead them? But the idea of writing an article about your book, that's that's fascinating because who isn't fascinated by the piece they're working on? If you're not fascinated by the piece you're working on, my goodness, like <laughs> cut your losses and start working on something else. Yeah. <laughs> And, and sometimes people think, well, I'm fascinated by it, but who wants to hear, you know, my blather? Yeah, no, someone does. And, and if you put it out there, you'll discover how many people really do connect with that blather you think no one will care about. Maybe the people in your personal life don't care about it. Maybe your partner doesn't care. Maybe your sister doesn't care. But the fact is someone out there will care about it. Otherwise, you know, what's, what's the point of putting it in the world? Yeah, when um, I launched my first nonfiction book, I did a guest post for Thrive Global about kind of what led me to write productivity for writers. And because it was the story of kind of overcoming procrastination to achieve my writing goals, it did really well and got me a whole load of pre-orders. Nice. You know why? Because that book was serving a need. That yeah, book exactly. was serving people. And the first person who maybe came to mind that it helped to serve was perhaps yourself, but there was a universality, universality, I don't know, <laughs> uh, to that struggle that you recognized and, and loads of people clearly connected with it. But if you hadn't recognized that, if you hadn't said, no, this isn't a flaw in me, this is something that a lot of people are dealing with and I can research ways to help fix it. I mean, if you just kept it to yourself and said, oh, this is a me problem, think of how many people wouldn't have been helped. But instead, you put it, you led with service. You said, here's some things that help. And I'm yeah. sure that made writing that piece much easier. And it certainly made it more attractive to Thrive Global because that is not a publication that's about, hey, look at me, I'm great. That's a publication that's about, here's how to thrive. Here's how to lead a better life. And so it makes perfect. That's a great fit. Yeah, um, I, I, my claim to fame was that Ariana Huffington actually shared it on a LinkedIn. I was like, oh my God like proper fangirl moment but that's the point like I wrote that book because people were asking me how I'd written what happens in New York whilst working full-time and moving house and maintaining a successful relationship and some semblance of a social life and all the like mental and physical health conditions that I've got as well so mm. I was sharing my perspective and while I wrote that before my chronic health issues got really bad a lot of the techniques in it still work even when you're having a chronic health flare-up 
So mm-hmm. even though I kind of want to do a new edition of it, it still kind of stands the test of time. It is still evergreen because a lot of what's in there is backed by science. It's not me going, this is what worked for me. You should try it. It's this is what science says. Although there is also, some element of autobiography in there as well. And you also bring up another really good point, which is a lot of people are hesitant to put themselves out there because they're not perfect. They feel like there has to be, if you're putting yourself out there as a brand, they feel like that's the shiny package cellophane, you know, perfect version of yourself that you have to put out there. And that's not true. I'm sure the fact that you shared your struggles, you shared the fact that you didn't write this book about productivity for authors while your life was perfect. Because what use is that? Instead, you shared, hey, I was going through a whole bunch of struggles and I still managed to succeed through them. Here's how. I think that that gave people so many different pieces to latch onto. People with chronic health issues, people with mental health issues, people who were simply moving house, people who were saying, how do I balance being an author and being a partner? You gave people so many different pieces they could latch onto that could be perceived as imperfection, but that, you know, Normal people, I like to believe that people err towards the kind would recognize as just common human experiences that they could connect with. And so I think that that's really key, not feeling like you can't put yourself out there until you pick and choose all the perfect parts. I think it's important to recognize that you exactly as you are, are going to have things that different people connect with. And and the more pieces that you have as a complex real human being the more people are going to trust you also the fact that you didn't say hey i'm a super type a have everything have my whole life together and i'm going to tell you how to do it i think the fact that you didn't come at it like that meant that a lot of people trusted you more because these were struggles you had been through you weren't declaring things from on high i never thought of it like that but I, that, I'm not that kind of person, you know, I'm like, this is what worked for me. Maybe you should try it. Like I'm massively into skincare and like obsessive. That's how I spend my spare time is binging skincare and hair care content. Same. And my- <laughs> I'm very into skin. <laughs> I used to work thing. in the beauty industry. <gasps> That's amazing. Oh my God. Anyway, before I start fangirling, um, <laughs> yeah, my friends have started coming to me for advice about it because... I have been doing the research and it's not a case of I'm going to recommend them stuff that works for me. It's yeah. a case of much like in productivity that I talk about them, talk about what their problems are and then go, okay, well, this ingredient might help with this problem and that ingredient might help with that, like niacinamide to help with some redness or some excess oil or retinol to help with acne, but make sure you wear your sunscreen, always wear your sunscreen. That, that's not a question. It's a fact. <laughs> And so that's always been my approach to stuff. It's like, yes, this works for me, but it might not for you, but you could try this other thing. And I think that's an extra layer of research that is often important and you can bring into your content as well. Because even if you don't use something that you research, like I did so much research on mummies for my new fantasy book, but I'm not going to need most of it because it's set in the modern world, but it's still a content opportunity. And Ellie and I are going to discuss it in a future podcast episode to promote the mummy's curse, because why not? Exactly. You've done the work, put it out there. Someone's going to be interested. Yeah, exactly. And I really did spend entire weekends just watching mummy documentaries and the dog was as fascinated as I was. (laughs) I love that. Her eyes were glued to the screen. It was mad. And I'm sure there were also some skincare tips in there, too, with embalming. (laughs) Slightly gross ones, I would say. Although um, I did learn that Cleopatra, she liked to bathe in donkey milk. And that's high in quite a lot of vitamins. Interesting. Like A, C, possibly B, and a few others as well. 
I, I just turned 40. I may have to go check out some donkey milk. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have to admit, I did try a donkey milk soap and I didn't like it, but that was only one product. So I can't say like the entire thing is nonsense. Don't, but that don't one product put a donkey milk out with the bathwater, they say. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you should if you're Cleopatra. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Circling back to talking about branding then. <laughs> What would you say the three essentials are for a new author brand? And that was submitted by our listener, Christopher Wills. I think number one, um, and this this may sound strange to um, general audiences, but it'll make sense to author audiences. Figure out the name. And some authors have numerous pen names. Some authors, you know, they do different genres with different pen names and that's fine. But figure out your naming and make sure that it's everywhere. You know, grab your screen names on all the platforms and all that. So I would say name is a big thing. I know my sister went back and forth about what name she was going to write under. Then there, then there's um, figure out where you actually care about being because you may want a broad digital footprint. You may want to be findable in all sorts of places, but make sure you've set up those expectations. Like make it really clear. You can use platforms to direct people to other platforms. You know, if, if you don't love Facebook, for example, but you've got an author page on Facebook because your publisher told you to or because people do find you on Facebook or whatever, you, you can set yourself up so that they get as much information as possible from that profile, but then your pinned post encourages them to find you elsewhere and your action button right under your cover image can send people to your website or to your Twitter or to wherever the heck you want them to actually find you. You can set up your messenger, your Facebook messenger, when people pop onto the page, encouraging people to go find you elsewhere. And then if they still feel the need to message you there, you can have an auto response saying, hey, great, find me over here. So you can absolutely have a presence in multiple places, but make it clear within yourself where you actually care about spending time, what type of content you actually feel comfortable creating, where you feel you actually want to develop your audience and community. Again, that can be multiple places, but just be realistic with yourself because you don't want to go on on Instagram, for example, and doing, you know, a post a day for three weeks and then completely ghosting for months on end. Um, I may have done that myself before, but you know, do as yeah, I say. Yeah, maybe I did that like last month. <laughs> I do as I say that as I do. I was and trying I, to be really organized, and then I just yeah. fell off the wagon because everything else got really busy. And Instagram is not a platform I'm a huge fan of. So you know what? Just... I have, I have, a, I have a, a sneaking suspicion that you're human, and no, so that no, no, secretly part robot. <laughs> But the uh, but yeah, so figure out where you're actually going to enjoy spending time, not necessarily where you feel like you should spend time because you're just not going to do it as well. Where does your voice come out the best? What type of content do you actually enjoy creating? And focus on building your community in those places. Another thing that I'll, I'll mention, and I guess this is thing number three, I would really, well, one of them connects to thing number one, which was reserving your name everywhere. Get a domain. So don't, so don't just be yourself at Gmail. Um, get a domain, be yourself.com or whatever you want it to be. Um, have your email address at whatever.com, whatever you want it to be. And build the thing number three is build your email list. And also don't, don't neglect having a website. Don't feel like you don't need it because your email list and your website are properties owned by you. Social media platforms, you know, if Facebook went down 
tomorrow, you couldn't talk to any of your Facebook followers. Let's say Twitter gets seized by, you know, some world government or something. I mean, I know in the United States, we almost lost TikTok. <laughs> so keep in mind, any social media platform can suddenly either be, you know, cyber attacked or can just go out of business. Ask everyone who had followers on MySpace or even Friendster. <laughs> Ask all those people who were broadcasting on Blab. None of those platforms belong to you. So while you can certainly use them for building your community, make sure to get direct contact with your community as soon as you can. Um, get them on your email list. Even if you feel like you've got nothing to say <laughs> for an email list, get their information. Uh, get them on your website because you can track them <laughs> after that. Uh, there's all sorts of ways, including free ways to track them, not only on your website, but to even track them, uh, people who've been to your website on social media. There's all sorts of data there that you just don't get from social media platforms. So don't neglect things like email and website, um, because I know social media is the big shiny thing. Social media is where you can find people. Social media is where you can start those relationships, nurture them. Social media is where you go to where the people are, but then also bring them to where you are. That should always be a goal. Make sure that you own this audience that you are building in a way that the major social media platforms can't take away from you on a whim. Yeah, because even like recently, Facebook got into an argument with the Australian government about mm -hmm. external links and news sites and stuff. And one of my friends in Australia, I like, just couldn't see anything. Yeah. Like, you never know what stunts they're going to pull. I know people next. who had huge followings on various social media platforms. And then they said one thing that the actually weren't even wrong if you had a human looking at it, but the machines picked up a word or something and they just got banned. Mm. It's terrible. A friend of mine built a Facebook group that had thousands of people in it. And then she got randomly banned from Facebook. And she's not someone who said anything offensive. She oh just gosh. got banned from Facebook. She couldn't access her own group at all. So she just had to start a new one. That's horrible. <laughs> mm hmm But I have seen it happen. I You don't own these platforms. No, exactly. And Something I just want to say, because it's a pet peeve of mine, and I'm sure you all understand why I'm saying this, is please don't create a profile for your pen name, because it's against Facebook's terms and conditions, and you are at risk of getting your account disabled permanently and losing all of the engagement and everything else that you've um, built up. And I have seen this happen to people, and they've had to start again from scratch, and it's horrible. And this is another reason you have to be really careful. You should always have a page. Pages versus profiles. So many people don't understand that on Facebook. Your profile is what you navigate Facebook as. It's the human you. You can lock that down with a ton of privacy settings. If you're really nervous about people finding out your real name, for example, there's a lot of privacy settings that you can use so that you're completely unsearchable. Um, well, fairly completely. If people are really determined to find out who the admin of your Facebook page is, they can. But generally speaking. And then, um, yeah, use a page. Pages are what businesses should use. Pages are what creators should use. Pages give you insights and analytics. Pages allow you to advertise. Pages allow you to do all sorts of great things. So use a page if you're going to be doing something like that. Pages are for professionals. Yeah. And just to throw groups in there as well, why are they yeah. beneficial? Who could they benefit? Yeah. Um, I'll admit that I'm a group failure. I, I haven't <laughs> managed to get a group together uh, for myself. One big thing I want to say about groups. So groups are brilliant because the algorithm loves them because people have essentially raised their hand and informed the algorithm. Yes, I want to hear 
from this group. Yes, I want to be part of these conversations. So you get a ton of notifications from groups and um, groups really break through um, that algorithm and get seen, which is fantastic. And it's also fantastic for building and nurturing relationships if you use them, right? Because groups are all about conversations around a given topic. The place people go wrong with groups, couple things. First of all, they use them as, you know, they, they think you'll be shooting fish in a barrel. They think, oh, I've got all these people who clearly want me to sell to them. That's not what groups are for. So you need to come to groups with an expectation that this is not a sales tool. This is a community building tool. If you really, really want to get all technical and marketing-y with it, you can look at it as market research. It is not a selling tool. It is market research or it is a relationship builder, ideally. So think about starting conversations. Everything you do in a group should be geared towards starting conversations. And this is another big thing that people get wrong about groups. You want to make sure that people feel like the group is about them and for them, not about you and for you. We're both in Atomic, as you mentioned. Andrew and Pete do a great job of this because every time there's a post in there, I feel like it is absolutely in service of the group members. It is not to aggrandize Andrew and Pete and say, hey, look at us, aren't we great? Instead, it's more to say, hey, aren't you great? Or if you're feeling less than great about X, Y, and Z, here's some tips. Or, you know, what are some things you're struggling with? What are some things you're not struggling with that you figured out that maybe could help other people? It's about encouraging us to help each other. And I think that that's really what a good group does. It really goes past and beyond and bigger than whoever started the group. And it becomes about the group members. Group members feel like it's their group. And that's the way to get engagement. Because if they feel like it's theirs, they're going to maintain it. But if you have a group where you're just posting things and getting crickets and no one's engaging or responding, which is where which is where I went wrong. <laughs> I was putting, I tried to start a group and I put content out there in efforts to start conversations. I was not just promoting my stuff. I was really trying to get people to talk about their struggles, talk about what's working for them. I was trying to follow the model of some groups that I'm a part of that are that have definitely been of value to me. And just nobody was engaging. And I said, okay, well, I could either keep trying to work at this, maybe get in touch with a few group members and say, hey, could you please try to be a conversation starter? I know you're up for it. I decided instead, no, maybe this just isn't what my audience needs. And this isn't where I feel comfortable creating content. This isn't what I feel comfortable doing. And it's going to be an uphill battle. So maybe I ought to just not do it. But people who have successful groups have, have it figured out. And it's really about making the group about the group itself. Another group I'm a part of that I love, Hudson Valley Women in Business. Every day, the leader, Lori, puts up a post that we're all meant to comment on, but it's always about us. It's, you know, what are your goals for the week? We'll cheer you on. Or what are you struggling with this week? Someone else might have a solution or at least some, you know, sympathy. We can um, promote ourselves only on Fridays and only on comments on that particular post, but even that's not a free for all. Sometimes she says, you know, promote someone else. Who have you met in this group who's doing an amazing job? And you can promote yourself too, but you know, so it's, it's always about us. And it's always about our common experience. That is really what the group is about. And there's other groups that are about providing inspiration, providing tips, whatever, but it has to be become about the group members. It cannot be used as a sales vehicle or method for broadcast.
when um, we created a group for the podcast at the end of last year, I think, I can't remember, I revived my author group at the same time. And it was an uphill battle and I really struggled. But I'm like, Facebook is my platform. I know this can work. There are lots of other author groups out there, but no one really talks about mindset or health or those things that can really hold you back. And I was like, I want us to have this group. I want to build this engagement. And it did take time. Things didn't really kick off until maybe season two of the podcast. And they've continued to go up because more people are posting in the group. And we're trying to post more regularly, like Ellie, my co-host, does like accountability threads. Mm-hmm. and I sometimes ask like questions like one question that did really well was do you write on your daily commute I never expected that to do well it was just something I came up with based on a Twitter post that I saw yeah. but you know these random ideas are great content that you can put in your group to build engagement and get people talking about themselves and you know what you can do with that next in your emails to your email list um, you can have a little section saying you know hey this really took off as a great discussion in our group. Are you a member of our Facebook group, by the way? Click here to join. And, you know, here's some of the thoughts that people shared. What are yours? So you can use that engagement that happens in the group to create engagement elsewhere. You can then create a Twitter poll. Do you write on your commute? Yes, no, other explaining comments. And you're going to get a ton of engagement there too because you've clearly tapped into something people are thinking about that's resonating with people. And you can spin that out any way you choose to. You can create content around it. You can create a little Instagram story of you writing on your commute. <laughs> if <laughs> I least- had a commute. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. Commutes are, are kind of uh, extinct in a lot of places. It, it seemed to be people used to write on the commute and miss it. Or people yeah. drive to work so they can't do anything. But one person did have a cool idea, which was that she dictates things. Mm-hmm. obviously you can still talk when you're driving and dictate and I really like that idea because I used to come up with so much book stuff on my drive home from work at my old job and I would have to like repeat it over and over and over in my head so I didn't forget it and then dive for my laptop as soon as I got home I'm like yeah. hi boyfriend bye boyfriend and then just running straight into my, my office the, like, what? the best talk I've ever given, which just happened like a month ago. I was sort of stuck on it because normally when I give a talk at a conference or a virtual summit or whatever, it's fairly tactical. It's, you know, here's how to figure out your personal brand. Here's how to do your social media. And this one was a keynote and she said, it's less tactical, more inspirational. And I was like, well, what am I going to do? That's not useless fluff. And then I never have drives anymore. Everything I do is five minutes away nowadays, but I had an hour and a half long drive on my way to an event. And originally I thought I was just going to, you know, listen to a podcast or listen to the radio. But then finally the ideas for my talk broke through in my brain on that drive. I also never use dictation. I hate it. It's full of, it's full of uh, typos, but I did it anyway. I just put it on for notes And I just talked all the stuff that was coming into my head. I just like said it. And it's funny because when I got home, I actually didn't have to listen to that recording or look at those terrible, you know, (laughs) typo written notes because I actually did remember the key thoughts and phrases and ideas um, and the structure of the talk when I got home. But in case I hadn't, because that happens, you know, we have great thoughts at 3 a.m. and then we wake up and they're gone. We have great thoughts in the shower. And by the time we've dried off, we can't quite remember them. So this was a nice day. Safe. Yeah. So this is a nice kind of fail safe of, oh, okay, in case I don't remember it. And I wound up remembering it. But I mean, I didn't think inspiration was going to strike while I was on a drive, but it did. And I was able to to capture that. And that was really key. I should, I should probably create some content around that. 
<laughs> yeah, definitely. I found I get ideas when I'm thinking about other things. So like I go for a bath quite a lot and I almost bought myself a dictaphone because I don't like taking my phone in because it's meant to be my me time to switch off and stuff. I have a book and that's it. And I used to keep getting ideas of how to solve problems with my books. And I was like, I can't write it down. I've got nothing. And sometimes I end up like making notes on my ebook so yeah. that I couldn't forget it. Or again, just repeating it over and over in my head. But the worst one is when I have a poem idea and I'm in the shower and it's gone by the time I get out. That one drives oh, me mad. That's terrible. Oh. used to happen all the time I'm like that's such a good idea it's gonna look great at the start of this chapter of the next fluid gossip book and then it's like oh wait what what were the lyrics again okay this word rhyme with that word but then what came before it and it's like shit sometimes <laughs> I wish I could hire someone to just follow me around at all times and mostly ignore me but when it's something like on that long drive, for example, I would have been like, yo, take the wheel. I got to write this this <laughs> presentation out. Or they could, or I could have dictated it. My little assistant would have been there just writing it. A little assistant sitting there, you know, <laughs> sitting on the toilet closed <laughs> while I'm in my shower. He's case I have a brilliant idea in the shower. You know, I need, I need a constant, constant little assistant. Yep. I think Winston <laughs> Churchill actually has one. I think one of his famous speeches was written while he was in the bath and he dictated it to a secretary. Nice, nice. I got to train one of my children. <laughs> you know, g- given given the shower element, probably my daughter, my son might be a little more uncomfortable with that. But I, I got to train. Her spelling is crap, but that's OK. I could fix it. <laughs> yeah, that part doesn't matter. As long as the idea is done, children. that's what counts. I'll train my children. There we go. <laughs> you mentioned before about like being personal and being flawed and these mm-hmm. things. So I just want to know a while back, like a couple of years ago, there was this big trend to be authentic. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? Because I know a lot of the time when people were talking about authentic, they just ended up imitating what other brands were doing, which then meant that they weren't authentic. And it was like, yeah. What are your thoughts on this whole being authentic thing? Thing number one is a lot of times people equated authentic with hot mess. They're like, (laughs) if I just show my absolute messiest side, if I just show a total mess, then that will come across as authentic and that will serve my brand. And first of all, that's fake authentic. (laughs) In a lot of ways, it's a little too crafted. Um, But also, I mean, I, I feel like authenticity, it can't be manufactured. If it's too curated, people will sniff that out. I feel like authentic is in the moment, sort of recognizing all the sides. Because the fact is, me here now with good lighting and makeup on and all of that, it's authentic. I'm not faking it. But at the same time, if you look at my Instagram stories in particular, there's plenty of stuff of me with like no makeup on in my messy house, you know, but I haven't made hot mess my brand. I haven't said, you know, I'm always whatever in the messy house. I contain multitudes. We all contain multitudes. I think that's one of the things about the fake authenticity that uh, sort of backfired on a lot of people. It became very one note. My friend Michaela Alexis, um, she has developed a great relationship for being very authentic on social media and especially on LinkedIn of all places, which is interesting because it's not usually a place we associate with being that personal. And she had a great quote that I love. Um, Let me see if I can remember it. I have it written down somewhere, but I think it was um, vulnerability, which could be, you know, it's a form of authenticity. (laughs) Vulnerability is Mm -hmm. a different brand. It's, it's, there's some sensitivity there. But anyway, vulnerability is when you are giving energy to your audience. Whereas 
I forget what she said, but I'm going to replace it with hot mess is when you're extracting energy from your audience. So are you being kind of an energy vampire and being too poor me or being too like, (laughs) or are you giving your energy to your audience? Are you saying this is me and I'm showing you this genuine view of me, this somewhat unpolished view of me, but unpolished doesn't mean you're like drawing on dirt smudges, like some, you know, Dickensian urchin, you know, (laughs) you're, you're real. And, and saying, you know, this is me, but this is also me, and this is also me, and you may see me this way, but I'm also this way. I feel like that's much more authentic, um, just being a multidimensional person, as opposed to having a curated faux authenticity, which tends to veer more towards hot mess. That's just my <laughs> feeling. Do you think it helps to have certain topics that you talk about rather than just yep. kind of being vague and I'll cover everything to be authentic? Or vulnerable, like I talk about my dog all the time and I am that dog mom, you know, and I talk about my chronic health issues and I talk about stuff I've seen on TV and stuff. But then some people, if they're not into pop culture and they don't write about it, then maybe that's not the right fit for them. What what are your thoughts on like content buckets, if you want to call them that? Yeah, I do call them that. Um, Content buckets, content pillars. I think it's good to have those. I think it's good for those to... One thing, one place people go wrong with putting those together is they construct them based on what they think people want versus letting them naturally emerge from who you are. I I talked with uh, Laura Pearman about this and she talked about some of her buckets, her content pillars, and they include, you know, the the vintage retro life. They include um, home renovation stuff. They include her cat. They include feminism, you know, so those are all things that you know, don't have anything to do with her photography business. They have to do with her as a human. And she didn't construct those. She said, what parts of myself do I not want to hide? But the thing about having content pillars is it lets people know what to expect. You don't want to put a million tentacles out there so that people have no idea who you are, what you stand for, what they can latch onto and sort of define for themselves as the part of you that they connect with. And they have no idea what to expect when they follow you. It's a way to kind of set some degree of expectations. I waffle like crazy on mine and waffle is an apt thing for me to use because one of mine is food. I used to be a food writer. A lot of the local businesses that I love are food related. I still get invited to foodie influencer things and I haven't been including it in my content. And I'm like, should I? <laughs> I I learned a few months ago that some people didn't know that I have a dog. Um, and so that's a thing. Um, I made sure my family is in stuff sometimes because that's certainly a thing. And I didn't create a family for my brand. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a big part of my life. And it's something that people can relate to. Some people actively, by the way, this goes back to the privacy thing before too. A lot of people actively do not include their family in their content or as part of their brand. And that is fine. It is not inauthentic to not include some parts of your life. That is completely fine. That can belong to you all day long, as long as you're not lying about it. I know that the Beatles back in the day, like two of them had to get like secret marriages because part of their brand was to let women think that, that, to let the teenage girls really think that they could have them. So, you know, if I were posting about being single in New York, that's a lie. (laughs) That's not part of my brand because it's not part of my life. But at the same time, if I decided not to include my husband or kids in anything ever and never mention them, that wouldn't be a lie 
It would be privacy. There's a lot of lines to draw there. But sorry, to get back to the point about about content pillars and things like that, they have to emerge as part of your life. What are the parts of your life that are so you that hiding them would actually be an effort? And so I think that's the best place for your pillars to emerge. What do you actually like talking about? What do you talk about as a person? What would your friends who don't know you professionally, people who are not involved with your professional life at all, your friends, your family, your real life people, what do they associate with you? What would they say? is, you know, if they're in a shop and they say, oh my goodness, that is so Christina. What are those things? You know, um, like my sister, my sister doesn't, um, again, she's going to have a personal brand now that she's trying to get to be a published author, but generally speaking, she's a private person, but she has very clear things. Cats, cats are a huge part of her personal brand as a human being. Books, nerdy stuff, anything Doctor Who. You know, I see those things and I think of her. So the fact is, hopefully, as she develops her personal brand, she won't shy away from, you know, being a, you know, nerdy cat mama. I mean, (laughs) that should be (laughs) in her content pillars. Yeah, when I did, I changed my new um, headshot. I was like, can I include the dog? Is it weird to include the dog? And I thought of another guy, Dave Chesson from Kindlepreneur. He's got his baby in his. Why can't I have my dog? I am that dog mom. I put the focus of the conversation on my dog rather than on me. So why can't I have a really cute dog picture? And I tell you what, nearly everyone who sees my headshot goes, your dog is really cute. And I'm like, she knows it. But it's a conversation starter. Yeah, Madeline Sklar, who runs the Twitter Smarter chat, and she's a big Twitter expert. And during Twitter Smarter, one of her tweets towards the beginning of the chat um, is a picture of her dog, Lucy. And she says, let's see those hashtags, the dogs of Twitter Smarter. And so everyone, you know, we've gotten to know that cast of characters. They've become part of the Twitter Smarter community because we see what people's dogs are up to week after week. My dog is usually like lying around under the table by my feet at that time of day. But <laughs> you know, I do, do a little picture of her and people are like, oh, she looks like she doesn't want to be photographed. I'm like, she's just tired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Millie's is um, more the, you, she does something really cute and then you try and capture it and then she immediately moves. So yeah. you just get like this live photo of her going like this straight across the camera. It's like, dog, come on, please. My dog often looks sad or grumpy in photos and she doesn't really in real life. She just, you know. My boyfriend used to have a dog like that. He constantly looked miserable, but it was just like he'd got resting dog face. Yeah. (laughs) Literal resting bee face. Yeah, but he was a male dog, so you can't quite call it that. Gotta love dogs. They're a good source of content. I actually do get readers emailing me saying like, oh, how's Millie? How's she getting on? Because she does have allergies. And this time of year is like hell for all three of us in this mm-hmm. house because we all have allergies at different times of the year. Yeah. So it's me, then my boyfriend, then the dog. And Who's the dog seems to last week? the longest. Hmm? Yeah. Yeah. This week. <laughs> or scratching because she scratches <laughs> really badly as well. So she has to wear yeah. really cute onesies to keep her off her belly. <laughs> so I think I need to post more pictures of her in these onesies because I think, I think it's really funny. I think she her own Instagram account. She's got I one. I just, on she has got one. I'm just really bad at maintaining <laughs> it because of the aforementioned Instagram issues. <laughs> My house has an Instagram. I'm into house stuff and I haven't been posting anything for a while because, you know, during pandemic, I mean, my house has just been a disaster. We've been doing no projects. We've just been surviving. But um, my house has its own Instagram and I follow totally different people on that Instagram account. I follow fellow house nerds, especially old houses. My house is from 1897. That's a whole community. And it's not really connected to my personal brand, though it's not a secret either. My, My link to C. Gritman is in the bio. 
you know, so people know who I am in real life. And I've, I've made some connections that cross the two accounts. But generally, I'm like, yeah, that's just its own thing. You know, and that's fine to have too. <laughs> yeah, you can juggle multiple things. Like I should probably post on Millie's Instagram more, which I've forgotten the username of as well, which is helpful. She's not making any money. It's okay. No, exactly. <laughs> so speaking of social media then, before we start yeah. talking about dogs anymore, would you say that social media is important for branding? Yes, because it's where people already are. It's where people are already having conversations that you can show up and add value to or even listen to so that you know what people are thinking about and talking about. When I was a local journalist, I joined the town Facebook groups for as many towns as I could in our coverage area because I said, that's how you know what's really going on, what people are whining about on Facebook. That's not something you're going to find out any other way unless you're there. And what do people talk about amongst themselves, not amongst company? And and that's really huge. And that's uh, that's a great opportunity of social media, but it's also a great opportunity to identify yourself as part of these existing communities as saying I care too, as becoming known in those places um, and finding people who you may want to lead into your little world. Which social media platform then would you recommend for an author? Like if they were to focus in on just one so that they don't feel completely overwhelmed? From what I hear, Twitter, um, that, that is overwhelming. But from what I hear, Twitter is a really important place for publishers, for um, I already knew it was a big place for journalists, but for publishers and authors, um, book pitches happen on Twitter. I hear Twitter is the thing. And there are some publishers who are specifically looking for a certain number of Twitter followers from authors that they're going to uh, work with. Um, book That's agents are on there, too. Yeah, I've heard Twitter's a really happening place for the whole book industry. Oh, I have to admit, like, I use Twitter more for posting random musings than for doing, like, author branding stuff. My proper, yep. like, branding stuff goes on Facebook. Yeah. Just because that's where I got most of my readers from. And that's and fine. We all have my platform, you know? We all have different audiences in different places, and they engage in different ways. And we can absolutely, you know, flex to accommodate that, or we can try to guide that. That's fine. Yeah, I, there's a really good Twitter hashtag. I think it's writing community where you can get some quite good advice from. But also yeah. there are some really great um, Facebook groups for writers. And Instagram, I've noticed a lot of writers on lately. And particularly also writing coaches are on there a lot, posting Instagram some really cool feels videos. It's very personal. I feel, I feel like people love that personal touch of Instagram. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people, they don't post videos generally. It tends to be clips of like... Um, podcast interviews for example or lives yeah. or they create reels um mm -hmm. or tiktoks and kind of cross share them between the two and there mm -hmm. are some really like great uses of them and i'm like if i enjoyed doing video i would do more of this <laughs> yeah but you don't and that's fine i mean create what will make you shine create what you won't hate create what, exactly. what you won't hate doing because then you'll create more of it and you'll look better doing it Exactly. That's why we have a podcast, because I have a radio background and I enjoy it. And I should have done a podcast years ago. Well, there you go. And now you have one. I know. And we love it. <laughs> OK, now let's talk pen names. Um, we had a really good listener question from Cindy Blair-Brias. I hope I said that right. I apologize if I didn't. Does it matter if there are other authors out there with the same or a similar name? And if it and is it worth considering a pen name in that situation? Like, how could it affect their brand and potentially even sales? It's definitely an uphill battle. 
if not only does someone else have the same name, but if they've built that brand for themselves, that's really key. Um, and if you're, if you're able to be differentiated, I shared my, I mean, I'm not an author, but I shared my maiden name with someone who shared some physical characteristics. She was close to me in age. We lived in the same part of the country, but as we got a little older, I didn't have a personal brand yet. She started developing a name for herself in, um, a scientific field and it clearly wasn't me. <laughs> so I got fewer and fewer confused emails coming my way the more she built out her personal brand because it was very it was very easy to find her if you were looking for the one who was a scientist it became easier to realize that that wasn't me and um, I didn't develop my own personal brand until after I got married and no one else has my name which is very convenient I would I've looked up people before who I've wanted to connect with and it's been hard to figure out which one so I think if you're going to keep a name that someone else has and that they already have a robust digital presence about, I think that means you have to try sort of doubly hard to differentiate which one you are when people find you. Make sure there's a picture there for sure, a consistent picture that's on your other platforms too, and that looks like you look now, not 20 years ago, uh, making it really clear being strong with your headlines on those places so that it's clear which one you are and why they should find you and why they should follow you. It makes it harder, but that doesn't mean you can't do it. However, if you want to take a little bit of that pressure off yourself, you could use a pen name. Uh, there's a ton of Hollywood stories of actors who, who changed their name slightly because there was already an actor registered, Michael J. Fox, star of Back to the Future, Family Ties, all sorts of great things, Teen Wolf. His middle name is Andrew. There's no J in there, um, but there was already a Michael Fox, so he couldn't be Michael Fox, so he needed to add a middle initial. And I don't remember if there was a Michael A. Fox also, or if it was just a matter of um, there was a Michael J. someone who he was paying tribute to. But yeah, Michael J. Fox, no J. That's, that's you know, it's his, Michael Fox is his real name, but Michael J. Fox is a stage name. And and that's that's fine because everyone knows it. No one leaves out the J when they talk about him. He's clearly built a bigger brand than Michael Fox did. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's, there's ways. It just, it kind of puts the onus on you to be extra memorable and extra recognizable. I think part of it depends on the level of the brand the other person has built too. If they, if there's an author with your name, you might want to consider adding an initial or putting a pen name in there, something. When um, I set up both my pen names, um, I did some research into them and there was a publication under Christina Adams, but it was from like years ago and no one had done anything with it since. Yeah. I'm like, well, if you're just sitting on it. And then the same, actually, when I set up my fantasy pen name, Casey Adams, it, it, I think it's a children's author and mm -hmm. they've done absolutely nothing with it and not published in years. I'm like, well, I'm using these for a reason. Like Adams was my nan's maiden name. The mm -hmm. C stands for my boyfriend's initial. Like they've got real meaning. Yeah. And also that then connects with readers. And if people aren't using them who have these names, then why can't I use it and build something from them? I got a little too stressed out over this when I was naming my uh, live stream and Twitter chat last year because every name I wanted was in use, but almost all of them were pretty dormant. But I was terrified that someone would still be able to like go and sue me or something. And I did a very 
unwise thing, <laughs> which was someone who had the name I really wanted and hadn't used it in eons. I actually wrote to him and said, hey, I really wanted to use this name. I see you've done business under this name, but it's been a while. Um, so, you know, was wondering if if I could use it. And he didn't officially say no, but he sort of left it open-ended enough and I had just provided him with evidence that I was aware that he was using it. So I was like, all right, I just messed up my chances of being able to get away with using it. <laughs> That's a tricky one when people aren't using it. I have a friend who's opening up a shop and the Instagram handle for her shop name is claimed and they have no followers. They aren't following anyone. They have not made a single post and they haven't touched the account since about 2015. And I said to her, I was like, we should write to them. They may turn out to be jerks who say, hey, give me money. Actually, they probably wouldn't respond at all. It's like, we should write to Instagram and say, hey, Instagram, this is an inactive account. Make it not a thing. <laughs> but it's tricky. But yeah, uh, pen name if they've built a brand. If they haven't really built a brand, go for it and build your own. You'll just have to try a little extra hard. And most people probably aren't going to notice if they've already started to fade into obscurity. It's going to be fairly easy for you to start building some sort of fraction. Yeah, very true. So one question we ask all our interviewees, Ooh. what's one book that changed your life? I love memoirs. I especially love the memoirs of smart, funny women. And there's a longtime blogger called The Bloggus. Her name is Jenny Lawson. And she's written several books and they're all autobiographical. Her book, Let's Pretend This Never Happened, um, is absolutely amazing. And that one is the most straightforward memoir of the lot. It, it's, it's sort of an autobiography. And it's so great. She made me laugh reading that book while I was in a hospital waiting for my two-month-old son to come out of surgical anesthesia. And the chapter that made me laugh so hard while I was in that horrible position was about her own miscarriage. So if you wow. can make that make people laugh with, without trivializing, too. She just, her turns of phrase and the way that she handles horrible things, because she suffers from, from major um, mental illness, physical illness. She has all these things going on. But the way that she talks about it and talks about her life is just so refreshing. So I wouldn't even say, let's pretend this never happened, is the one that changed my life. Her second book, Furiously Happy, I go back to in hard times, because that is more a collection of autobiographies biographical essays, really. Some of them originated as blog posts. Some of them are fresh for the book. But the premise is because she suffers from mental illness, because she suffers from chronic physical illnesses, she knows that there are going to be months at a time where her life is just going to suck, which is why when she feels okay, when she feels up to it, she's decided she's going to be furiously happy. She's going to have experiences, do cool stuff, just embrace those seasons when she can so that during those seasons when she can't, she can look at those things and say, the last time you felt like this, you couldn't have imagined those things were in your future. And depression lies and these past experiences are proof that you won't feel like this forever. So she's furiously happy when she can be um, out of defiance to the things where her brain and her body try to keep her down. And so I read that book uh, whenever I, I kind of need it. And some of the essays are not funny at all. Some of the essays, there's not a single laugh to be found. And that's kind of refreshing. It sounds it, definitely. I'm going to be checking that out. Yeah, Furiously Happy by Jenny Lawson. 
That feels like a really uplifting note to end on. Yeah. So where can our <laughs> listeners go if they want to find out a little bit more about you? Absolutely. Well, I'm the only Christine Gritman, which is helpful. So my website is gritman.com. Not Christine Gritman, though it will redirect, but gritman.com. My husband had that domain before I came along <laughs> and I stole it. I'm C Gritman on Twitter and Instagram. Christine Gritman Inc. on Facebook and YouTube. Christine Gritman and Christine Gritman Inc. on LinkedIn. Um, so yeah, just just look me up. I, I'd say gritman.com slash connect is a very good place to go because then you can give me your information as well and I can go follow you everywhere and give you mm. love. Yeah. Um, and when is your Twitter chat? Just in case anyone does want to yes! check it out. Every Tuesday at 12 noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. British time. And every Friday at 12 noon Eastern time, 5 p.m. British time, I'm doing cool stuff about brand. Tuesday is my Twitter chat chat about brand and it's always on the same topic as my friday live stream let's talk about brand but my friday live stream has a guest expert so my friday live stream is an interview show but as a uh, preface to that we have the tuesday twitter chat where just we all talk about the topic and it's an incredible community the chat about brand community has been the biggest gift of my 2020 and 2021 oh that's so cute them where do you do your live stream if anyone wants to check that out is it just everywhere it's everywhere now yeah season one i just did facebook and twitter but season two is facebook and twitter and linkedin and youtube and even amazon live which is is a new and exciting thing that i have to figure out how to maximize (laughs) (laughs) yeah we've spoken to a few people who are checking out um amazon live and kind of still experimenting with it because it's not technically in the uk so anyone in the uk has to kind of find a workaround to get it yeah it's it's weird it's something i wouldn't have sought out but my friend jim fuse has been using it for a while and he's really making money off it so um I don't know if it'll be such a big moneymaker for me, but it's another way to be found. It's another way to get my message out there. It's another way to educate people. Um, So it was a worthwhile opportunity. Yeah, sounds like it. All right. Thank you for chatting with us today. It's been really great fun. Thanks for having me. Did you find this episode enlightening? Don't forget to hit that shiny, shiny subscribe button so that you never miss an episode. Or if you're watching on YouTube, hit like and subscribe. It really helps other writers find our videos and lets us know what type of content you want more of. And don't forget, you can support the Writer's Mindset over on Patreon for less than your favourite coffee a month. Join our growing gang of writers to get early access to episodes, bonus content and monthly writing catch-ups with us. Visit patreon.com forward slash writer's mindset to find out more. And don't forget to check out our free Facebook group, which you can find at writerscoopgroup.com forward slash Facebook group. We're in there every day talking all things writing, mindset, reading, and occasionally pets. So it'd be great to see you in there. See you next time. Keep writing.